Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Okay, oh, everyone. Uh, welcome to Investing Insights with the Right Property Group. Here we are. It's um, a momentous day. Uh, might have picked up a bit of change in the intro there. It is uh, a new series of Investing Insights with the Right Property Group. I'm Phil Tarrant. I'm uh, one of the co-hosts here. I'm joined by my regular panel, my co-hosts. Steve Waters and Victor Kumar from the Right Property Group. Gentlemen, how are you going? Going well, mate. Season three, number one. What yeah. do you reckon of that new intro, Victor? I think it's pretty good. It's yeah. pretty upbeat. It is? Yeah. I like it. I'm I pretty like happy it. with it. Yeah. I don't know about the guitar riffs. Let's see. If you like it, let us know. Um, if you hate it, let if us you hate know. us, more importantly, <laughs> how do people connect in? What's what's the email address, Victor? It's questions at rightpropertygroup.com. Okay. Question is, do we keep with that guitar riff or do we change it up? I quite like it personally. But uh, series three, so it's uh, we've been doing this for at least two years now. It's uh, time flies. Time absolutely flies. Uh, I do enjoy it though. Uh, if you're new to the uh, podcast, uh, we get together once a month and. Um, we chat about everything to do with property, um, from buying, selling, holding, managing, financing, uh, everything which makes uh, a good, rounded property investor. And um, two years ago when we started this, a very different market to where we are today, but uh, you guys have been in this game for many, many years and you've seen many market cycles. And I know, Victor, you just say, this is an, there's nothing strange about where we are right now. Nothing. We're just in the market. Yep, that's right. It's just the cycle working uh, what how it normally does. Uh, we've just reset to normality. Uh, we had a good run uh, in, in most states. And uh, the good run was fueled by uh, easy finance, uh, the buoyancy in the market in terms of uh, consumer sentiment, um, and, and um, of course, uh, the prevalence of uh, self-managed super funds. Now, that's all starting to get a little bit more restrictive, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that you know, this is just normal. This is normal. For people that have been investing for well over many cycles, this is part of your normal cycle where you get um, uh, a good run and then the brakes are put on uh, by the regulators uh, via various uh, levers that they pull. And this time around, they've pulled the lever of EPRA in, in, in the sense of um, regulating the lending by making it a little bit more restrictive. Uh, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that you know, it is normal. So we've covered this a little bit over over the course of the last sort of four or five months. So go and, go and have a look at the uh, the most previous episodes. We dig in depth around uh, markets and how, as property investors, you can capitalise on the current market conditions. And today, what I want to do is, uh, here we are at the end of end of November, everyone's sort of already thinking Christmas party mode and what they're going to be doing over the summer and taking time off. And uh, I often use this period of time to, to slow down a little bit and think about the next year and, uh, and how I'm going to be approaching my property investments and other stuff moving forward. So it's a good time to reflect and um, and just do a little bit of strategy and planning. And that doesn't need to be too formal. It could just be musing to yourself when you're sitting on a beach somewhere. But um, I thought what we do today, guys, is is have a look back over 2018 and um, looking at the, the, the key factors that we've seen, some observations, some analysis of, of the market that was and how that might help people shape their views towards investing in, in 2019. Steve, for you, I know um, you, both, both you and Victor, you're very fortunate in that you live and breathe property every single day. So I'm a bit of a part-time property person. I sort of jump in, I jump out when it suits me. And suiting me typically is drivers around how I balance business with 
personal life and, and property, right? There's three sort of very big sort of pillars um, amongst other things. So um, I'm in and out, but you guys live and breathe and uh, you every single day are chatting with property investors, uh, very sophisticated investors with huge portfolios through to first-time investors. So you guys get a really good read on the market. And that's why this podcast is so valuable because we actually get some real insights, inside info on the, the mentality and mindsets of property investors right across Australia. So let's have a look at 2018. Um, when you think back of, of of this year that's just passed, what would be the sort of the, the key observation you would have towards the property markets and property investing? It's a good question. It was only the other day that I was uh, reading through some blogs that I'd written earlier on in the year and some commentary to you know to various people. And the beginning of the year, I said, or the end of last year, beginning of this year, I said this year is going to be all about finance. This is going to have a heavy effect. And you wrote this yeah. back early in the year, okay? Yeah, or late last year, whatever it was. Yeah, but we're talking about mm. this year, and and it was an obvious, an obvious thing that was going to happen. In fact, the levers were already pulled probably the year before. It's just that the effect was, or the momentum of those levers being pulled hadn't yet taken effect. Uh, and as a result of of that, um, and finance becoming so much more difficult. Then we started to see consumer confidence erode and we started to see that the, the market, certain markets peaked, being Sydney and, and a little later in the year Melbourne. Uh, and as a result of people's wealth being eroded on paper in the Sydney markets especially, that the consumer confidence started to ebb away very, very quickly and that's where we are today. So this year was all about finance and it will be next year as well, but maybe that'll be the next podcast. <laughs> so uh, was there a point in time, Victor, for you where you went, the market has now changed. Was it, you know, uh, let's call it a tipping point is what it is, where where markets go from rising to falling. And we're talking about Sydney, Melbourne in particular. We'll touch yep. on Brisbane and some of the other markets a little bit later on mm-hmm. because there's been some, some some great places to invest over 2018. Absolutely. Um, but for you, was there a tipping point? Can you remember back over the, the year just passed and went, it's, an, it's now changed. Things have gone are going south rather than north. I think it's more of a gradual thing, right? So mm. it, little bits and pieces add up, and 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 then you realise that actually you are you are in a flatter market than a more buoyant market. Uh, obviously, um, uh, the my budget was a point that you could tag back to, and uh, consider that a lot of people were waiting to see what the budget was going to bring, and then realise that hang on, it's, it's just business as usual. They they were just some small changes that have happened uh, at that point in time in relation to property, uh, unlike the previous year. And when you look at it from a viewpoint of most people sitting with their accountant in July, August, uh, there was, a, and, and there usually is a natural slowdown in, in terms of investors because they want to sit down with their, with their accountant before they regroup. Um, and um, then there's usually a surge of, property investments is September, October, November. Um, and we, that, that that still came through, except the, the um, types of properties, the strategies that the, uh, your sophisticated and, and savvy investors were trying to get to has changed. So it's no longer let's buy something. Uh, it's more like let's buy something pertinent. Well, I think also the, the big key there as a result of that is that the FOMO investor has, has left the yes. market. So. Yeah. Those that just, oh, I've got to What's buy something. What's a FOMO investor for, for us who aren't sort of uh, au fait with uh, the, the latest cool jargon that the young youth are using, Steve? <laughs> is that the best you got? No. Nah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just starting. Um, or does everyone just know what FOMO means these it's days? Just you, no, fear of missing out. So okay. a lot of the, the market was being perpetuated to a certain degree from uh, people that just wanted to invest. They just wanted to buy property because they had seen 
the tremendous results that everybody else was you know, posting on Facebook or whatever it may be, uh, and the newspaper headlines or media headlines for that matter. And so they just needed to get in and to get in they had to often pay more than what the property was really worth and there's a difference between what it's really worth and what a, mm. you know, someone bought it for. I think, I think you mentioned something really pertinent there about Facebook. And, and if you look at it, from, uh, look at this cycle as compared to the previous cycles, the, um, the catalyst in here is actually social media because we, we are living our wins uh, in inverted commas um, through Facebook and through, uh, through uh, our social media. And therefore, everyone seems to be having a win and, and it, it be- becomes that herd mentality. No one loses anymore. No one because, loses anymore. Well, nobody yeah. wants yeah. to talk about the mistakes or, That's or, or right. perhaps yeah. things that didn't work. And any of the numbers that are mm. put there are, you know, are embellished to a oh, certain absolutely. degree. And I agree that, that the, any social media platform, and we've said this before, is a big reason or a big part of the overall picture as to why this market did perpetuate as well as it did. So yeah. Steve's identified 2018 as, as the, the key theme, year of finance. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Is that the key theme or what would you add to that? Uh, no, absolutely. Finance yeah. finance was the key thing um, uh, because uh, a lot of um, investors that have uh, started just in this cycle were used to getting finance really easily. Uh, and now that the finance is a lot more harder to get, it's not impossible. Uh, and in fact, a lot of people, when they're, when they're um, reading these media articles, they're thinking they will not be able to borrow. And I'd, I'd say that go and sit down with a broker, map out your um, your options first before you decide for yourself whether uh, you can get finance or not. Yep. So that, that, that's been the biggest change. Uh, and it's it's helped reshape the market as well in the sense that a lot of people, say, in Sydney and Melbourne, are now chasing the um, lower entry point and higher yield in different states. And uh, quite a few of them uh, may also have then gone down a path of abandoning fundamentals uh, and and buying in areas where it may not have uh, suited their um, their financial footprint uh, when when you really look at it uh, from a long-term point of view. So this is an important point, Victor. And Steve, if you can explain the relationship between strategy and market forces. So what I mean by that, um, picking up what Victor said, you had people in the city Melbourne market who at a point in time might have been pitching at these properties of sort of seven, dollars $800,000 is where they were buying. And because of limitation of finance, the theme of finance for, for 2018 – they've changed their strategy and they've moved into different types of assets, which are more affordable assets, a little bit further out of the city. You know, it's quite a complex sort of dynamic that, that's happening. So if you're one of these investors who have fundamentally shifted your strategy because of finance from this year, is that a good thing? Is that the right thing to do? Or are you better off sticking the course and, and waiting for financial markets to return? I, th- I think there's there's uh, calls for yes and no to, to answer that. Like mm. if, you have the, if you have the financial awareness – uh, and the ability to be able to control a certain price bracket asset, let's call it that, uh, and it's produced the results for you, and you're comfortable with it, and they're and let's you know, we'll throw some fundamentals around that, being that they're in well-located areas and what have you, then stay the course. Mm. Uh, at the end of the day, it's all about cash flow, so it's not just about the property's cash flow; it's about the household cash flow as well, and how ma- how well you can manage all of it and all these mechanisms and mechanics mm-hmm. and put it together. Uh, People choose strategies for certain reasons and you know, not all strategies are created equal and not all work, but there are a heap that do. It's just finding that strategy that suits your risk profile and your financial footprint. So I've been always been very pro-buyers agent. I always use buyers agent for my properties. I use you guys. Um, you guys haven't changed your strategy 
and the application of your strategy at all because of the current financing market. No. There's a couple of tweaks, but fundamentally it's the same thing. You're still acquiring the same type of assets. They're just in different locations. So if, if you're tuning into this and you're thinking, oh, yeah, my, my buyer's agent sort of changed the way they've told me to invest because of this current finance market, is that okay? Or should you be sitting there thinking, oh, why is this shifted so much? Or is that really the the um, is that good advice from a buyer's agent to, to shift what yeah, they should it's be doing? It's a good question. I think it depends on on the circumstances of not just the market, but that person's, um, you know, where they're up to in their own journey in terms of their portfolio or, or, or their future cash flow. The buyer's agent may have already had in plan that they're going to shift direction and take advantage of perhaps opportunities that present themselves. But mm. as long as the fundamentals are okay, and even, even coming back to us, whilst we do uh, purchase a lot in the affordable areas, I think the the mistake people think about us is that well, we just buy the cheap stuff, and, mm. it, and it's not that it's about affordable to that area. So if I can go down to down the road here at Point Piper and buy a property for eight hundred thousand, well, that's affordable for that for that area. Yeah. So it's just understanding the dynamics of the strategy uh, and the property type and the price bracket. So just crystallize your strategy, Victor, and I've known you for five years now, I imagine. About nine uh, maybe, years. Maybe, right? maybe longer. It's not yeah. that long, is it? Yeah, it's been quite a while. God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, there's, there's a... He's obviously enjoyed the time. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> How'd that happen? <laughs> um, uh, so... The fundamentals of property, and, and mm. we, we chat about them all the time on on uh, investing insights of the right property group. So you know, go and listen to that stuff. There's, there's there's oodles of podcasts around that. But can you crystallize this 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 fundamental strategy about investing close to to um, local economic areas? So a lot of people mm. think investing in property you need to invest within ten kilometers of the CBD. Yes. So in Sydney, that would mean Chatswood, mm-hmm. um, Stratfield, uh, and and you're looking at million dollar plus there, but Sydney's a big city. Melbourne's a big city. So, you know, the same logic of investment, irrespective of the location and and, and sort of, I guess, satellites stands true. Can you just sort of give some insights into that? Because a lot of people, when when I've heard you talk about this before, it sort of flicks a switch and they get it. Yep, absolutely. And and I think the first thing to point out is that you've got to adjust your um, uh, strategy in terms of the distance from CBD that you're buying in line with the population in that state. So as an example, uh, Sydney, we do, we're, uh, as in New South Wales, we're talking uh, 8 million, almost 8 million population. Uh, Melbourne, we're talking about 6.5. And, a half. Uh, and uh, Brisbane, we're talking about 3.5. Yep, and and therefore, the the distance that you're buying from CBD, so the main CBD, which is uh, postcode two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, you normally want to be adjusting it in terms of uh, travel distance uh, via public transport or or uh, private transport. Uh, so if I take Sydney, I'd probably go hour, hour and a half uh, max. Melbourne, I'd probably go one hour, and in Brisbane, probably within that forty five minutes to to an hour, depending on which direction you go. Uh, once you've identified that, then you need to obviously look at your micro CBDs or, or, or the satellite CBDs. So if, if I'm talking, say, as an example, Sydney, uh, you're talking your Parramatta's, your Cameltowns, your Blacktowns, um, your, your Gosfords and all that. So they, they, they are your CBDs because the way our employment has been structured has changed substantially. And in fact, if you look at, uh, look at the Greater Sydney Plan, by 2036, the plan is that uh, every person living within within the metropolitan area, and the definition of metropolitan is within one and a half hour from, from postcode 2000, is going to be within half an hour travel distance from their potential employment. Overlay that with the fact that we've just gone through 
a change in terms of how we are employed. In, in other words, we are able to, um, uh, to work remote via technology. So that's allowed us the urban sprawl and, and being able to work from home, work from a satellite office, and in fact having the offices uh, or headquarters in different suburbs. You've got this perfect storm happening where you don't need to be within 10 minutes or 10 kilometers of postcode 2000. You need to be within 10 minutes of that CBD. So you've got you've got to realign the definition of CBD because that has actually changed. And and you need to then obviously adjust it for each state. I think that's a really good point because a lot of people will say, well, you need to invest sort of 10 minutes, 20 minutes maximum from the major postcodes, 2000, 3000, mm-hmm. 4000, 5000, what have you, uh, because that's where the land is at its most scarcest and the demand is always there and prices will go up. And that's true. Uh, my only caveat to that is it will always only house a certain um, percentage of the population and that certain percentage of the population is the smallest part of the population because purely, purely because of scarcity and not everybody can work in the city. So these other metropolitan areas or these cities, we'll call them, that are outside mm. within the hour, depending on the state, uh, actually show great growth and his, proof's in the pudding, history's there. And then you overlay that with the fact that they're not making any more land and I know that's a well-used cliche but it's the truth if we talk about Sydney. You're, mm-hmm. you're bound by mountain, sea and, and national parks. So people have to have that, that, that urban sprawl is just going to happen more and more and more. The caveat to that uh, commentary is if we went to some, somewhere like Adelaide. Yep. So Adelaide's a different kettle of fish where... Mm-hmm. We advocate buying sort of 20, 25 minutes no further mm. from the CBD. If we push it, it's you know it, there, there needs to be a good reason. And because that's because of the population pressure as well. And because of the open space mm. and green fields as we talk about it. And even if we come back to Melbourne and where you know, people are saying, well, listen, invest closer to the CBD of Melbourne, you know, 20 minutes out because anything further than that, and I'm going to, this is tongue in cheek, but any further than that is, is regional, um, just doesn't fly with us because if you take Geelong, mm-hmm. you take Melton, Um, You take Ballarat and Bendigo, where people naturally moved away from the CBD areas like they do in every other state because of affordability, because not everyone is going to be able to afford 1.5 million plus or thereabouts, then it's just natural that they look for something where they deem is value. And as a result of that, supply and demand kicks in once again. But Melbourne is a little bit different because they do have a lot of green space between what they classify as regional. So let's talk about Geelong Mm -hmm. uh, and back into the CBD. So it is a matter of um, being very deliberate Mm. and making sure your research is spot on. So if you look at it from 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 the viewpoint of of in inverted commas the boom, right? So uh, the previous years it was the it, it was fueled by the industrial boom. So you know the we had industrialization so in other words if I come back to Sydney most of the factories and the work was with close to the CBD now we've we've diversified out we've got satellite centers and that's where everything happens. Then followed the the um, technology boom which was the ability to work remote. And now the new boom that's coming in is your infrastructure boom. Australia at the moment is spending probably the most amount of infrastructure dollars in the developed countries. And this is something that whilst we don't want to speculate on what can happen and and what will happen, we want to just uh, follow the fundamentals of um, how things are panning out. And if you look at Sydney, Melbourne, uh, Brisbane, they're, they're fairly significant dollars being spent uh, in terms of infrastructure. And if you overlay that with, with the normal fundamentals that we, we uh, advocate, uh, you, you can't go wrong regardless of where the property cycle is, so long as you adjust the type of property and the strategy that you're undertaking 
to be in line with with the property market itself. And this goes back to adjusting your strategy mm. on market forces, market conditions, yep. and and market conditions is <clears throat> government infrastructure spending mm. huge. You know, just immigration, uh, immigration, next level. Yeah. Next level. Um, you know, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne are, are big global cities now, and and you have a very changing uh, environment. The emergence of Asia, uh, and let's remember where where we're based here. We're we're firmly within the uh, mm. you know the, the 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 Asian community here, and uh, Australia's going to ride that wave over the next twenty years. Uh, um, yeah, difficult security environment, and that's going to change things as well. But Australia will firm itself, particularly the East Coast, as a backbone of, of, of the developing Asian nations. That's a great place to be. So that's a big thing, right? Australian government sees it. They're spending money. State government sees it. They're spending money. But we still have this finance situation, which is, you know, the, the big theme of, of 2018. And let's remember where we are with finance right now um, is not by accident. It was a deliberate not. regulatory mechanism has been put in play to shape our financial markets and our property markets. Um, and we've spoken about this beforehand, but APRA, uh, regulatory bodies, um, made recommendations to banks and requirements on banks to change the way in which they lent money. And that was three three or so years ago, isn't it, Steve? So it's taken that long to really- The effects to, only to really play took out. place maybe late last year, but yep. certainly this year. And then you overlay that with the consumer confidence piece and, and what have you. But what APRA did was necessary. And I actually, you know, everyone involved have done a pretty good job I believe they've stopped the this bursting effect of the bubble, so to speak, and it's been a and will continue to be a soft landing in certain areas. Um, what soft it, landing mean? Well, we just don't have this um, GFC overlaid recession depression scenario because things are good. Like, I, I can, and, you yeah, know, like the, this is the thing that things kills are good. me because if you if business confidence and and there is an indicator, and you can well, Westpac put uh, Westpac put one out the other day. Business confidence is high. Consumer confidence is relative. Uh, it's taken a bit of a hit, but that's all around about the household wealth or the wealth between people's ears because of household uh, or their properties. Um, jobs growth is good. Underemployment is still there. And, and essentially just in, a, in very layman's terms, that's the people that are want more, that are part-time employed and that want more employment or full-time employment. Um, our inflation is still low. There's, there's, which is not a good thing either. Um, it does need to be in that band, but it is not doom and gloom. And and whilst there's a lot of clickbait media around at the moment saying the world is falling apart, I mean, whatever it is, whatever you think it'll be, you'll find and you'll find the supporting information for it. Uh, but at the end of the day, and, and I know it's been this has been talked about so much. Australia is not one property market. There's markets within markets, and so on and so forth. We know that, um, but people need to take stock. They just need to stop. Have a look at the their own fundamentals, and that could be well. When was the last time that you got three point eight eight interest rates? Admittedly, P and I never. Um, when was the last time that yeah you were getting four point fives or four point seven fives? Yeah, it's been around for a few years. But if you go back and these are the people that hadn't invested before this cycle, we're used to paying six, 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 six and, and a half, half yeah. even seven. That's, that's what it was when I started investing. Yeah, it it's six and a half. And, and and the big thing that the, the media is not talking about or the clickbait people, uh, and whilst property prices have fallen and they're, they're talking about 20%, 30%, whatever it may be, and I think we were talking about this beforehand, that there are some parts of Sydney that have fallen by 20% already, no doubt. There are some parts that have only fallen by five and there are some that haven't dropped at all. There's some going up. If and there are some, if you look at the data, they may have even increased, yeah, mm. but the, the truth behind the data is a little different. It's not that bad if, if we if we if we just do some really simple maths, and I'm going to be very general here. So over the last five years to the beginning of this year, we've had 75% growth in Sydney. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. And now we've come back. This is just for my ma- my maths sake and and over exaggerating in the negative way. So we've dropped by twenty five percent. So that leaves us fifty percent over five years, which without even compounding and all that sort of business is ten percent per year. If I had have come to you five, six, seven years ago and said, let's get into a Sydney market because we're going to get 10% per annum growth, you would have fallen over yourself to get in. It's not that bad. We've still achieved 10% growth per year. Mm -hmm. We are getting back to normality. The people that are going to suffer are the people that have bought at the top of the market. Mm. They they are going to suffer. And over-leveraged to do so. And over-leveraged. Because lending conditions are a little bit more favourable a year or so ago. Correct. But they're they're saving grace if they've managed themselves well is that the cost of money is very, very cheap. Now, Mm. There's a potential for rolling over into P&I and, and so on and so forth, but even that's at a cheap rate. Yeah, they, they need to take steps now. I just don't buy into the into this scenario that the world is falling apart. Mm. And and also what what you painted there is that property um, price growth doesn't move in straight lines. Doesn't no, it doesn't. Ever. You, know, no. you know, you look at XY axis and, and property over time, most people just see this line going up mm-hmm. from 1980s to where we are today. It's just a... You it's know, not linear. It's, it's, it's yeah. not linear. It, it, it's it's up and down, yep, and that's and right. that's what market cycles are. Mm-hmm. And another thing that that uh, I picked up on on what you just said, Steve, um, when we're talking about the six percent and six and a half percent interest rate uh, back in the in the previous cycle, um, it's all relative because at that time the yields were seven and eight uh, percent when you're talking in the markets that we were investing in. So if we forward pace that to now, we've got interest rates of four and a half percent. Our yields are five five and a half percent so the only thing that's really different is the price point in other words yep. how much it's going to cost you to enter the market that's the only thing that's really different and and therefore that's where you need to look at your cash flow because you're then chucking in a bigger dollar amount per week to hold the same property because you bought it at a bigger at a, at a higher price and yeah. if it, and then even going further from that if rates go up hmm. well rents will go up I mean, that's just not just a simple flick of the switch. But, yeah, there's a lot of mechanisms in play that would suggest that uh, the housing boom that we are having and even those that are still yet to be constructed will stop because Mm. the developers can't get funding because they've got no pre-sales. And this is once all the the immediate stock has been absorbed. Um, Immigration still happens. Population Mm -hmm. growth still happens. So here's a long prediction. And everything in real estate's long, but he, here's a here's a long prediction. We are are, are get, you gonna you gonna pin yourself on this? Can yeah, I bring it back up? All right, I'll pin myself go. on this. Here we go, Victor. <laughs> I'm not gonna give a time frame because come on. <laughs> <laughs> we are gonna go back to what we were post GFC in terms of oh, the, I agree. Uh, in yep. terms of the supply and demand mm-hmm. situation. And what was that? Well, the reason the property prices really started to percolate after the GFC was because all construction stopped during the GFC because of you know, no finance, no pre-sales, so on and so forth. But once again, population kept happening, uh, immigration kept happening. It was all the right fundamentals. So it lurched from being perhaps just like we are now into an oversupplied situation in some markets to an undersupplied situation mm-hmm. in most markets. and Which is your normal property cycle. Which is your normal property cycle. Can I, so can you just explain this? So undersupply meaning there's not there's – not- enough properties for sale compared to people that want to buy properties. Is that undersupply? There's not. Yeah, I actually wasn't, yes, but yes. that's what I wasn't referring to. I was actually referring to uh, rental demand. So there is okay. more people that want accommodation that is available. And as a result of that, then rents go up. Yeah. And it will happen. Mm. Like it just, this is just history repeating itself. And if you want to then overlay the whole negative gearing scenario with if, if labor gets in and, and all, of, all of that sort of business, Will that be bad for the economy? Like nothing else. 
and there's been enough commentary around that, so we won't go into it. And I'm not saying that just because I'm the property guy. It's just common, basic <clears throat> economics 101. Hopefully, right. um, sensibility will prevail, and I think there's probably enough pressure there. But there's a, there's a part of me that kind of says, I hope it does happen. Is that a bit weird? It's bargain time. Yeah. Look at you guys, just out there always looking for bargains. I guess that's what you do, right? You're finding that's great properties do. under market yep. value, right? So, uh, Well, it won't affect people too much yep. like like the types of properties we buy because we're not gearing relied. True. And I guess where you guys secure assets for your clients are in the affordable belts and if investors come off because of a negative gearing situation, uh, first-time buyers, and that's increasing as it is right now. So it just puts even greater pressure on on for properties in that price point. This goes back to the, the supply and demand scenario. And it is that simple. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think too many people are trying to complicate it mm-hmm. and, and there's so much data out there and there's so much rhetoric that is confusing the consumer and, and maybe quite deliberately. Mm. But if you just break it down to the real basic form of, of what it is, this is a normal market. This mm-hmm. has gone back to normality. Anyone that just thinks this is normal hasn't experienced any other market. And so what was it before term. now then? Ex- exceptionally different, was it? So if you look back and, and you know, this is what, what's happened in 2018 and, and, and I would identify 2018 as, as a, a revert back to normality. Um, yeah. So it's just part of a cycle, right? But, Correct. So what was the last three years? Was that just like, oh, my God, what's going on here? Because that, that wasn't, that wasn't normal. That, that wasn't normal. No, and so... We were only talking about this the other day, actually, because oh, how long was it, was it ago that we stopped buying in Sydney? Three years. Three, four years mm-hmm. ago. And we did it quite deliberately, even though we knew that there'd still be a run so, on So growth. let me get this right. So when you guys put out the market, property started going down. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. They kept going you up. Guys have, you guys have – yeah. They, yeah. Did, they, did, they, they went out for about another year yes. and a half, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe even longer, probably two years. Yeah. And we got out quite deliberately. I mean, we could have sat back and said, yeah, let's keep buying more and we'll ride this equity train. Uh but we knew that it was going to retract. Have you, have, you done a, have you done the math yet? So can you go back, and I'd like you to do this for me. When you guys exited this the city market and stopped buying, obviously yep. it went went up and it's come back down. I'd like to see whether or not when you exited the market, whether the city market, when it when it comes to its bottom, is at that point when you stop buying. I'd be really interested for you to, to run that scenario for me. Does that I, make you sense? You know what? We're already, in the, we're already in the throes of doing that. Yeah. But we're actually going to go a little bit more because – we want to see what that growth was. If we pulled out at a price point, let's just yeah, call it 400,000 for maths, and it got to 600,000, I mean, some people would say, well, yeah, look at you guys, you're not that good. You missed out on $200,000 mm. more growth or equity. But because we've seen this time and time and time and time before through multiple cycles, we knew fairly well that if we got out at that price point that the market would still perpetuate and there would be some haters and we get that. But we also knew that it would contract because it was too quick too soon. Mm. And that contraction point back to that dollar amount is the figure that you're talking for. That's and we will have that. I, re- I reckon it'd be really interesting. When, when you've got yeah. that, let's have a chat about it. And yep. we've got to wait until when, when are we going to signal the, the bottom of the city market? I, I don't know. You know, it's, It'll have it's to probably, be after the fact because no one can actually predict that. No one can right? predict it. It needs to occur. Yeah. And then it's probably a year or two yeah, away before right. we yeah. can actually yeah. work mm-hmm. this out. But it, it happened like we did the last cycle, mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. The cycle before that, same thing in so, different so, states. So let's chat about that. So this is, this is 2018 is all about finance, right? But- if you secured property in Sydney at the point in time when you stopped buying, as in you went, that's it, and at that price point, buying the right asset with the right upside value over time, and it might be a bit of an X factor or whatever, but the yields are good. So that's sustainable investing, isn't it? True. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That, that That's exactly the definition that's of the sustainable point. investment. Yep, that's the point. And because you haven't over-leveraged yourself or used more capital or got a higher loan amount if you're purchasing, mm. 
with the potential, which has now come true, of rents actually contracting, because that's what does happen in a in a rising market. Most people think that rents will stay in line and run parallel to the to the growth uh, curve. It doesn't. Mm. Rents actually contract while growth happens because it's more accommodation. And my portfolio is a case study. Now, my remember when, when we yeah. bought stuff out, um, uh, say Mount Druid Way, correct? Um, you know, two years after buying it, the rents come off probably twenty or thirty bucks, and and have stayed there. Let's use that Mount Druid property. Let's uh, talk about um, Luxford Luxford, uh, Road. On Luxford Road. So. That got, geez, that got as high as probably on the open market during you know, the actual heyday and when things were just fizzy. Um, geez, you could have write your own price on that two-bedroom unit. Mm. You had probably 380 more. Yeah. You know, it just got silly. Just went crazy. So imagine the investor that bought it at three, let's call it 380. Um, and we're only talking about an old red brick unit here that you know, had a haircut and a shave, so to speak, yeah. opposite Westfields. So if you purchase that at 380 and you're getting three, what was it, 320 a week rent? I think so. Yeah, 320 a week. So straight off the bat, you are negative, negative, negative. And you've, let's imagine that you've got a 90% loan on it because that's the whole reason we are where we are. Yeah. Now the property's probably worth, I don't know, 340, 320. Probably even a little bit less. Mm. So it's come down a little bit more. So now you're in a huge negative equity position. You're still riding massive negative loss uh, on the property pre-tax. Uh, and and you're stuck. You're, you're going to have to carry that for at least a couple of years. Well, well, here's how it works. So, if we go back to where I was talking about the, you know, if we break it down, it's been ten percent per year just for my simple maths. This happens because, and, and if the average is really probably between six and seven um, Australia wide as terms of growth, yeah, growth since Captain Cook got here or, or thereabouts, then this that same person that bought that Mount Druitt unit at three eighty, not only have they just contracted in price by let's call it twenty percent. Um, but they're also in for a, a no growth market for probably five years because we need to get back to the averages. Mm. It, it will just naturally get back to the averages. So he's stuck or she's stuck for five years. And this is the importance of yep. when you have a market like Sydney that has done well and you've been very deliberate in where and how you've purchased it and when you've exited the market and then where you've moved that equity on so that you have, haven't over leveraged, Different markets give you the best opportunity to diversify, and and I'm really conscious that we, you know, a bit of a case study there in the Sydney market. This is we're just not Sydney centric, you know. Correct. We're talking about the same thing happens in other markets: Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide. Um, at just different different stages, different cycles, different nuances, different reasons why they're happening. But typically, irrespective of the location, probably markets run in similar cycles. They're just at different times at, at different places. So 2018, I agree with you. Yeah, you're a, you're a finance. If I had to recap it, another couple of things though, I'd I'd, I'd identify with um, 2018 would be um, is, is sort of negative media sentiment. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and I don't want to dwell too much on this because we covered it beforehand. But but didn't it happen quick? It did. The the role and the obligation of the media. I remember reading a year ago, property's booming. What a great asset! How um, to make a million. And, and then literally a week later, oh no, the the, the market's fallen to pieces. Yeah. So, but we told you so. But we told <laughs> yeah. you so. So, so my point on this would be, and and you guys can fill in on this, is that sometimes just don't listen to the media. It gets over sensationalized, and um, be careful where you get your information from. Is what I'm saying. Very so careful. I would I would identify 2018 as part of that because it's topsy turvy. You read the media, it's topsy turvy. Feast and famine. Um, you know, one day to the next. But it's also because of social media because mm-hmm. that's the greatest Absolutely. and easiest platform for the media to get their their articles yeah. but out if you, there. If you dial back to the last cycle, so just, just before the GFC hit, right, obviously that was a there was a big uh, big bump on the road, yeah. right? But you still had similar headlines back then. And um, in fact, if we talk about the affordability factor, uh, and, and um, Steve, you and I were doing a reno uh, and we found some old newspapers um, yeah. under the carpet, 
and um, it was back from 73 or something like that. And um, Same headline. Same, same headline. headline. Affordability. Yep. Yeah, it costs $30,000 to buy a property exactly. now. You know, it's everyone's priced out. I, I saw something very similar from the 80s uh, a couple of days ago. Exactly the same. You mm. could have just changed the date on it. Exactly the same mm-hmm. Yeah, headline. so it's not new. It's not, it's not new, new news. This is just history repeating itself. And if you stay the long term, you'll be okay as long as you, you know, control your cash flow and all that sort of good stuff. It's... Mm. And if you're buying at the top of the market, you just got to make sure that you're able to afford to hold on to that particular property without compromising lifestyle until the next cycle pushes it up again. Yeah. So another theme I would say, and this isn't a primary theme, but just something I see from my vantage point, uh, Stephen, it's um, it's the evolution to, I guess, the mindset of investors to embrace advice. I think that's something I've seen over over 2018. Um. I've seen a lot more buyers agents come into the scene, um, and I, th- I think that's good. It's great in the industry. Thing. Yeah, um, you guys have been at this for how long? Yeah. Two thousand and four. Two thousand and four. So you you've been doing this for a long time. You've got a lot mm-hmm. of experience, um, and you're seeing a, an emergence of of buyers agents coming in. And I think that has to be driven not by buyers agents going, "Oh, let's become buyers agent." I think it's from um, the attitude and aptitude of consumers, as in investors, to actually embrace advice. Uh, and I think that's a really important point. It's a great thing. And, and I think uh, as time goes on, I hope um, via you know, certain platforms um, such as media, uh, such as Pippa, that the industry does, and we've talked about this before, that it does mm-hmm. become regulated so that not anybody can just start dishing out uh, advice or, or hang their shingle as a buyer's agent or a real estate agent or, or whatever it may be, mm. or a broker for that matter, um, that the advice that you get needs to be in line with your goals, mm. uh, firstly, and that the advice that you get is tailor-made to your situation, not just a shoehorn approach, one strategy fits all. And and uh, look at who your advisor is and what's their, what's their history in terms of how many market cycles they've seen. Uh, are they actually uh, living and breathing the same strategy that they're advocating? So, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, you, you're, you're using their market knowledge, their personal experience, so that you don't have to repeat the mistakes uh, or, or make the mistakes that they've done. And I think. I agree. Yeah. I, look, I think it's really important though that that everybody starts somewhere. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. yeah so a buyer, even a buyer's agent, they got to they got to start at some time. Um, when we first started, like we've been investing since two thousand two thousand one. Buyer's agent since around about two thousand and four thereabouts, give or take. I had to start. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And and I get that, but I just think in today's age of of technology uh, and the amount of advice that's out there is probably where the problem is as well. Yeah. Don't drown in the information. Don't drown in the information. Mm-hmm. I think um, uh, having watched you guys uh, within the buyer's agent space for, for many years now, the, the new breed of, or generation of, of buyer's agents coming on board, you know, you're the sort of business they all look to emulate, right? But, you know, how do you, you, you can't trade off experience and, and time in a market. You know, um, you guys, uh, you know, your observations going, yeah, we're back to normal. You know, because you've seen a couple of market mm-hmm. cycles, and that's the important thing about vice, and that sort of goes from also being a buyer's agent to um, being a property strategist, which are two very, For two very different, two things. very different things. Yeah. That's where the experience and, and, comes. And in. I think that I think you know only when you've you've seen a couple of different markets that you can actually start being a, a property strategist because you need to actually know that depth. And, um, and not and like I don't want to. We don't want to bag everybody else out there because there's some really good oh, some operators great, there's out some, there. some other great yeah. people like you guys who have that. that Absolutely, that same and 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 they're and they're the guiding light for this industry. You know, 100%. I think it's a very good thing. Yep, and it's just uh, 
I think you said it like drowning in information. Mm. There is just so much information out there, and, and you know, Google's as bad a platform or, or as good a platform, whichever way you want to look at it. Trust whatever, trust your advice, trust the information you receive. Yeah, but it's also a, it's, it, you need to seek counsel. Not there are multiple team players in your journey. Uh, yeah, if you t- take us as um, as strategists and buyers agents, yeah, mm. then there's your accountant, then there's your broker, you know, and if need be, a financial advisor. Yeah, inverted commas. Inverted the, commas, yeah. So that, no, no one can see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tough like that. It, um, these all play a crucial role in your journey, in your business plan. So this is good. Um, I'm going to go a little bit longer today. It's the first episode of Series 3. Um, so I'm going to uh, take liberties and, and push this a little bit longer. We've t- spoken about 2018, year of finance, completely agree, and we're sort of broken down some of those issues and concerns and how that's influenced market dynamics and the way in which you buy. Uh, we've covered some of the other themes associated with around media and trusting information you receive, the growing enhancement aptitude of, of property investors to embrace advice. Really, really good. That's all cool. Let's put that to one side. What I want from you guys is 2018, considering all these different changes in the market, the different nuances and mechanisms underway and, and how things are changing, what are the five things, the best five things you've seen property investors do under these sort of market conditions of 2018? Steve? Why are you looking? Why do you go to me first all the time? Because <laughs> Victor's, Victor's sitting there thinking. So, uh, <laughs> so I know he's going to give me a much better response than you. So I thought I'd give you the first one, which would probably be quite a soft response. Oh, so I don't response. have to do all five straight away. No, no, you go first. Over 2018, the best investors you've seen in the market, what have they done? What's been the tenets of them being successful in 2018? Short answer cash flow management and liquidity all that's kind of the same thing as well because they've taken it seriously they've been able to track their portfolios they've seek the right advice but they've also been uh, invested and that means time into their their own numbers so whether they've come up with it by themselves or whether they've uh, they've taken counsel they've kept their cash flow clean and lean they've got adequate buffers in place in terms of cash flow and capital and they are waiting for the next opportunity. Okay. Victor, your second think, one? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, and, and one of the things that I'm noticing more and more is that we're starting to become borderless investors. We are looking at emerging markets. We're not just, if we're in Sydney, we're not just investing in our own backyard. We're actually able to go to the uh, to the next level and look at interstate investing or, or investing in other suburbs in that, in that state. That has been made possible through several reasons. The first reason, obviously, is uh, is whilst I bagged social media earlier, that's the pro of social media is that the education platform that it provides uh, has been far better uh, and therefore you're no longer investing uh, and educating yourselves by books that, that may become out of date really quickly or, or is, is pigeonholed into, into a particular strategy, such as a tax strategy in that sense. We're no longer uh, investing... Uh, by uh, looking at um, you know articles in the newspaper or reading articles in the newspaper, we actually actively um, educating ourselves using webinars, uh, using podcasts like this, um, and, and uh, therefore our scope and our ability to invest, because the mindset and the education has changed. I'm seeing that there are a lot more investors out there that are, are getting into multiple property ownership without compromising their lifestyle. Okay. Uh, the third point I would make around what the best investors have done in 2018, and I would say not buy. Um, there's been a lot of people that have 
the confidence and the sophistication to go, you know what, I'm happy to sit on the sidelines yep. and wait. Sort of connected with your point around having good cash flow management and knowing your, your situation, but they don't feel obliged or pressured to buying uh, when they don't think it's the right time to buy. They're not pegging themselves They're against someone else, which, is, which yeah. is really, really so important. So that's some of the best investors I've seen have had the confidence to make that decision. Uh, fourth point, Steve, what the best investors did on in 2018? I got a five. <laughs> I'll come back to four in a minute. <laughs> What's fifth then, Look, Dick? Uh, it, it is actually adjusting the strategy, right? So I'm, I'm starting to see, and actually I'm also recommending to a lot of my uh, my clients is to go down the route of creating that value. So uh, as the market changes, we are starting to see more and more of the need to create that value to protect your deposit. So your renovation type of properties, your, your value-add properties are now starting to become more prevalent. And I'm starting to see the definite shift of people now no longer uh, just going for your pristine properties or your off the plan. There's, and again, coming back to my previous point, it's all coming back to education and better awareness uh, via clients. Uh, and uh, if I can throw in one thing that's changed in 2018, which was more so towards the end of 18, so right now, is the uh, ability to buy properties within a self-managed super fund because a lot of lenders have actually come come out of that yeah. lending space. And it's a bit of rationalization within that. And, and I think what it will do is uh, actually ease the pressure in terms of the competitiveness of buying property, uh, uh, investment properties out there and allow us to then uh, then come back to normalcy which made which and that's a good point because we actually talked about that late last year and that's early right. this year as well yep. saying watch this space watch this space as you know it will cease we'll to change. exist okay round us out give us a fifth point number Steve. five i'm going on with the smsf theme or, or thereabouts I, re- I think it's really cool that people are actually thinking forward and once again thanks to probably social media and, and the various platforms of education and what i mean by thinking forward they're actually wanting to take control of their own future mm. Uh, and we're fast forwarding or looking way into the future now. So not being reliant upon government, not being reliant upon um, the small amount of super that they have. They want to actually take control, whether that be property, shares, bananas, whatever it may be, and not just via SMSF, but they want to do something for themselves uh, rather than sitting back and, and just waiting for something to happen, which is pretty cool. Which wish it was around when I first started. Mm. That's true. So I'm going to extend a little bit longer. I've got a new section for us, um, which I thought about this the other day, and I've uh, done some research and uh, gone through the the back catalogue of uh, all the questions that you've received over the last couple of months, Victor, and um, I'm going to do a question of the month. Interesting. Um, And I've chosen this particular question because it's sort of connected in uh, with our conversation today around finance, and it's um, it's from Madeline East. Madeline, thanks for uh, for writing in. Um, uh, we will get you to your questions eventually, so please make sure you send your questions through to Victor. To questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. And I'll summarise Ma- Madeline's um, question here. She she pretty much asked. I'll, I'll direct this to you, Victor. Um, she, she's asking about what lenders she should be choosing. Um, in the current market to secure investment properties. And she, she did a bit of a preamble, said so she's got two investment properties and mm. uh, she's she's got a place in uh, Sydney and uh, in Brisbane. But she's asking, which lender do I, do I choose? Do I choose a major bank, considering all the hullabaloo that's happened around the Royal Commission, still yet to wash through? Or should she be looking at maybe a second tier or a non-bank lender? Or does it not matter? Can I qualify this first to say that, you know, go with a, go with a lender that'll give you the money yes. at the best rate possible? Uh, based on your circumstances. But there are several other things at play over here. One of the things could be that if you're going with a, say, third-tier lender, you sort of got to question 
why are you going down that path? Nothing wrong with third tier lenders. What's a third tier lender? Yeah, so like third tier lender, so it would be would be um, uh, non names. Yeah. yeah non non deposit taking institutes. Okay. Yeah. So um, they're not your major banks. Yeah. And if you if you are with that lender, and let's say you can't borrow any money, but with that lender, it sort of constraints and 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 um, makes your portfolio and your situation not as liquid. So if you then ran into trouble down the track, or if you had a change in circumstances, your only option then is to sell out of that property. So you've got to take that into account before when, when you when you're looking at the lender. And I think in today's day and age, you have to also look at a lender that has got uh, got, got good internet banking as well, uh, so that it's an ease of transaction. And looking at your fees and charges that are there, not just focused just on the interest rate, look at all the fees and charges that they're, that they're implementing and compare apples with apples that way rather than just going with a name or, or a brand name or going with uh, institution that you've always done your banking with. It's a good question, Madeline. Good uh, thought process. My recommendation would be go and speak to a good mortgage broker and I'll uh, have a good look at what you can borrow and uh, make those recommendations. Uh, mortgage brokers are worth their weight in gold. So uh, lean on them and they should be able to help you out. Guys, I think we've done a pretty good job there. I think we've done really well. Yeah. well. yeah. Series well. three, episode one. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Um, and we want this to be a bit of a journey. So it's just not us. Um, formulating um, topics every single month. Um, we'd like you to help lead us and guide us uh, about the type of stuff that you uh, would like us to discuss on uh, Investing Insights of the Right Property Group. Victor, again, questions at rightpropertygroup.com. Is that the best That's way right. to reach out? Facebook posts? Uh, um, yeah, you can private message us on our Facebook page as well, Right Property Group, or reach us on that email address. And if you're after any other types of education, go to the website. There's videos, there's blogs, there's there's e-books. a lot of free resources there. Yeah, uh, no over shortage of stuff. Yeah, Is there anything we won't cover? We'll be happy to take on anything. We're happy to take on well, anything. Property yeah. related. Property, property related. related. Talk about your yeah. holidays. If I don't have holidays, mate. <laughs> I'm too busy working to try and make some money for buy some property. <laughs> and, and, and the other thing is um, we'll have a webinar out that will be out in the next couple of weeks. So stay yes. tuned for that. Look for it on the socials, on the website or wherever else um, that it will be talked about and – uh, make sure you register. Cool. All right. Well, thanks. I really enjoyed that, chance. So it's, it's a long one. It's sort of 50 minutes. I think it's an all-time record. So let's not set the benchmark at 50 minutes for each uh, each episode. We'll, get, we'll go back to our normal um, sort of 35, 40 minutes moving forward. But you know what? That said, if you're happy to tune in for this long, we're, we're, we're okay with the feedback. And uh, if that's what you want, we're happy to deliver. So thank you. Really enjoyed it. Onwards and upwards for um, uh, next year. So our December podcast we're actually going to look forward rather than backwards well, and that might um, be about predictions mm. yeah some predictions on what's going to happen and uh you've made some predictions already so let's see if they play out so do um, i have to come then uh, maybe <laughs> you've done your job <laughs> yeah victor's, Vic, victor's a talent here so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can wear a different jacket next time though it's uh it's a shame well maybe we get a photo up there I'd, I'd like people to get some feedback on that thing i've but, already um, had feedback and what they say I loved it. Oh, really? Okay. Well, there you go. They're just being polite. Fashion, fashion forward. Anyway, thanks, gents. Really enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, we'll see you again next month. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs, and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property, or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.